Welcome to Crawl Space. I'm Tim here today with Lance. Lance, how's it going today? It's going fantastic today, Tim. Got the air doctor going up here in the attic so I can breathe. And this isn't an ad right now. It works. I can breathe. My eyes aren't burning. So that is making me feel great. Also, the guests that we have on today, what a fun conversation this is. What an amazing show this guy has, an amazing concept. And Tim, you have an impromptu game towards the end of this conversation where you use the titling of his show and you created this quick quiz game out of it that I think the listeners are really going to enjoy. I know I enjoyed it on the spot there. But first, Tim, I want to conceive about how you're doing. How are you, sir? I am doing great. Thank you very much for asking. Yeah, I'm excited about this conversation that we had with Scott Johnson. Scott Johnson is the host of a fantastic podcast called What Was That Like? where he speaks with real people in unreal situations. It's really great branding because it sounds like exactly what it is. And we highly recommend that you check out his show go to what was that like.com and you can see all of the episodes that he has and the way he titles his episodes is also very brilliant because it's the moment like lex couldn't stop bleeding and what's your reaction to that that's what you're saying tim it's the branding your reaction to that is geez what was that like it's like that <laughs> exactly. obvious branding that makes it work and we have a really funny moment in the beginning where there was a little miscommunication so be sure to not skip past the first like minute or so and if you want to hear this conversation with no ads you can sign up for crawl space podcast now on apple podcasts and if you're not an apple user you can go to crawlspace.supportingcast.fm you get ad free episodes early releases and our weekly bonus show which everybody loves and tim you know what else everybody loves Aside from their air doctor, air purifier, social media. They love social media. They do. And you can find us on social media at Crawl Space Podcast or Crawl Space Pod. Thanks a lot for listening, everybody. We're going to break quick for commercial here, and we'll be right back with Scott Johnson. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. Welcome to the podcast, Scott Johnson. How are you today? Doing great. How are you guys? Doing fantastic today. And I just want to let the listeners know and Tim know because he popped in right after this moment happened. Scott and I had a really a funny miscommunication where I told him that this interview is going to be very conversational. He misheard me and thought I said confrontational. <laughs> So we're gonna take we're gonna take the gloves off here. You know? <laughs> All right, I'm gonna try to make it as confrontational as possible. Then, <laughs> okay. <laughs> no, just kidding. <laughs> well, thank you for joining. I am curious about your show. Please tell us about you. What is your background? And then tell us about your fantastic podcast. I've actually been podcasting since 2012. I have a computer business. And when I have clients all over the country, and when I started listening to podcasts, I thought, you know, I really should probably start a podcast, you know, business related. So I did that. I did like 400 episodes of that. But then almost five years ago, I came up with this idea. I found that when I was listening to podcasts, the ones that I really enjoyed the most are the ones where people were telling a story and even better if it was a true story. And I looked around and I couldn't find a lot of podcasts doing it, at least not the way I wanted to hear it anyway. I already knew how to do a podcast, so I figured I'll just do it myself. So I get started. The first episode was July of 2018. And you've been in the podcast biz since 2012, you said? Yeah, that was when I first started. I just want to make sure that everyone knows we're not having you on to promote something that's brand new to you. This is something you've been doing for going on, uh, is my math right, 11 years? Just about, yeah. 
depending on when people listen to this, but yeah. That's great. What was the first show that you uh, produced? It was called the Computer Tutor Podcast because I do remote repairs and personal computer instruction and stuff like that. It was like 10 minutes every Monday morning and it was some computer tip or trick or scam alert or something like that for non-techie people. And I didn't have any advertisers on that show. The advertiser was me. You know, I created the show to establish my own authority in that space. I've stopped producing new episodes, but the old ones are all still out there. They're still live. And last episode was like two years ago. And of course, with computer stuff, eventually it becomes outdated. The, the podcast I'm doing now is evergreen. You know, good stories are forever. Absolutely. On your show, you really try to unpack these moments in your guests' lives and really explore what it felt like, in some cases, what what it smelled like. I'm curious, which one was that? I'm trying to think, okay, which where did we investigate smell? That was Mark teen, she had mentioned on the way to the hospital, her father was bleeding and she could smell the blood. In the car. Yeah. yeah. I remember that. Yeah. But yeah, tell me about what is your favorite type of guest to uh, to speak with on your show? I cover quite a wide variety. A lot of the episodes are true crime. Most of the people I talk to aren't regular public speakers. They don't get interviewed regularly. They just happen to be in the news or, you know, this one big crazy thing happened to them. You know, they were in a mass shooting or they crashed a skydive. Anything where people will hear the title of it or the premise of the story and think, okay, I got to hear that story. What happened there? I don't do any paranormal because I verify the facts of each story and, you know, it's hard to confirm somebody saw a ghost or something, you know. Other than that, I'm fairly open. I also don't typically do primarily medical related stories. You know, I was diagnosed with this rare thing and I was only given 5% chance to live. And now here it is five years later and I'm still here. I hate to put it down because it certainly was a traumatic experience for them, but there's just too many of them and it's not unusual enough. I try to set the bar pretty high as far as unusual and bizarre stories that people really want to want to hear. When did you realize that you had this particular interest because I think we all enjoy hearing a good story. Maybe we don't commonly hear a great story from an, a regular person. Do you know when you first identified that that was something that you had a passion for? Well, I, I can tell you one particular uh, instance comes to mind. This is probably the answer to your question. I was listening to a, a podcast that I listen to regularly. The host, as, who actually is a personal friend of mine, was talking about his dog and the day he had to put his dog down. I remember where I was. I was on my way to a client. I was sitting in the parking lot and I'm sitting in the car crying because I'm hearing this, you know, this terribly sad story. Something like that, when you can remember how a story made you feel, that is just so powerful. And that's what I want to capture in these stories. I think that's what really has an impact on people. I know when I'm interviewing someone and the guest is crying while they tell their story, it's going to be a really good episode. I really try to capture that vulnerability. You know, I tell them it's just you and me talking. And a lot of them, I, I have to say, I'm so, I'm honored that they express that, that they become that vulnerable to tell me this story. Some of them have never told the story verbally in detail to another person. I've had several guests say that was so good. It was therapeutic for me to be able to just tell everything and they get great benefit from it. Yeah, you ask great questions and it does seem like a, a personal experience for the person telling you the story. They might not be aware of how many downloads the episode's going to get, but they know it's a podcast, right? Absolutely. And a lot of them have heard the show. You know, I'm getting most of my guests now from the audience. Yeah, I deliberately don't tell them how many people are going to be listening. It would be a distraction. You know, I always do a pre-chat. One of the questions I always ask is, is there any part of this story 
that you don't want to talk about or that you don't want me to ask you about. It's really very rare for someone to say, yeah, there's this one thing. Usually they say, no, I'm open. What was that one thing? Let's go through all the times. Oh, man. Now I'd have to go back and remember. This is as confrontational as Tim gets. (laughs) (laughs) How dare you ask me that question? (laughs) That was me getting a confrontational. I'll think about that. Maybe come, maybe circle back to that. Okay. <laughs> now, what is the uh, worst sounding experience to you? Your show really runs the gambit of topics like a woman who got trampled by an elephant. Um, we mentioned a, a home invasion. What are the worst kind of uh, experiences that you've heard? I would have to say, and we've done more than one episode about this now, a parent losing a child. We've covered a lot of graphic things, broken bones and getting shot and stuff like that. I had a man who lost his 16-year-old son to an asthma attack. When we recorded, it had only been six weeks since it had happened. And I asked him up front, is, this, is it too soon? Should we be talking about this already? Do you want to wait a little bit? And no, he wanted to do it then because his son in his death was an organ donor and had saved lives. So this man wanted to get the word out, raise awareness about organ donation. I mean, within the first three minutes of our conversation, he was crying, which obviously completely understandable. And that's what really gets the listeners too. I've had so many listeners say, man, I was listening to this. I had to pull over because uh, (laughs) I was crying too hard. I couldn't keep driving. I love hitting a nerve like that. And when you tell a story and it's just so raw and the emotion is there. I just thrive on that. I love that. And what is it about that raw emotion that conveys to the listeners that you feel is important for the listeners to hear? It varies with each story. A lot of our stories are pretty dark. Something really bad happened. But I still try to end on some type of a positive note, like how the person got through it. Did they have therapy? What kind of therapy did they get? How did that help them? What are they trying to do with the story? In a lot of cases, it's just to let people know this happened to me and you can avoid having it happen to you if you take these simple steps. I've always been fascinated with human endurance. So a lot of these are just the fact that this person went through something so horrific and yet after time has passed, you know, they're now living their life again. So there's hope for that. You know, if other people have gone through that, you know, there's hope for them. Okay. Now what about the best sounding experience? (laughs) (laughs) Well, you know, I do, I do have some happy episodes, you know, they're not all death and dark (laughs) and everything. Uh, Every once in a while I'll throw in one just a fun one. Like either somebody that has a really unusual job, like I interviewed a lighthouse keeper once, what he does all day, stuff like that. And I had a lady who went on The Price is Right and won the showcase. That was fun. I had another one. One of the early episodes was uh, a woman who was on a business trip. She got to the to the location and was texting her coworker saying, hey, where is everybody? I want to hang out. She texted it to a wrong number. And the person that got that text said, you texted this to the wrong number, but if I was there, I'd hang out with you. And they just started chatting back and forth. And three years later, they're married. So people love that story. Every once in a while, we try to have a happy one. You strike me as somebody who has a good handle on the spectrum of emotions. So when you're listening to a story or you're telling a story or someone's telling a story to you and your audience is listening by way of your podcast, can you tell me the importance of having these emotions being like you're super afraid of something? It's making you laugh until you cry, until your stomach hurts. It is affecting you in a way where you're crying on the side of the road because the story is so like tugging at your heartstrings. So we have like fear, love, anxiety. Like what's the range of emotions that 
you consider when people are telling the stories and why is that important? Yes, it's a huge range. I mean, humans can have so many different emotions and so many of them, like what the ones you mentioned, are really strong emotions. But I think the whole key is if I can get the listener or the guest rather to tell the story and obviously they're telling it firsthand from their firsthand experience. If they tell that story well enough, any listener who has empathy is going to consciously or subconsciously put themselves in that person's shoes. And man, they're in a plane that's about to crash. They're thinking, man, what if I was sitting there where that person is about to go down? What would I do? You know, you've heard the, the phrase, the theater of the mind. And that's the whole thing with this. You know, when somebody's telling an audio story, there's few things that are more powerful than that. I don't think it really even makes a big difference what the emotion is because they can all be powerful depending on the situation. So you spoke to someone who was involved in a plane crash. That definitely sounds completely terrifying. Oh, man. And we got the cockpit recording just before they hit. She had that. This was a medical flight. She was a nurse. When I do the opener, usually I do what I call a cold open, where I just kind of either tell a story related to the story or I tell what actually happened. And in this case, I'd start right off. Diana was in a plane. She was sitting in a plane. And the pilot couldn't move because he had a broken back. The co-pilot was unconscious. Her patient had died on impact. And Diana knew she had to start getting people out of the plane because she could hear the crackling of fire and the cabin was starting to fill with smoke. But she couldn't. She couldn't stand up because she had two broken legs. And then we go into the storytelling, you know, what happened. I don't think that's enough of a hook for me to draw me into listening to the rest of the story. I'd probably just pass. I'd, I'd skip to the next episode. That's incredible. So when you get these stories that are sent to you, are you receiving them through your website's email or is this through social media or is it a combination? It's a huge combination. When I first started doing this, I made a list of people I want to talk to. And then I just started looking for news stories and finding names, hoping that the person had a really unusual name because that means it's a lot more easy to find him on Facebook or someplace else. You know, John Smith, I'm never going to locate him on Facebook, but I made a list and I just started contacting people. We can put you in contact with John Smith if you need. Excellent. Thank you. We've had him on. Yeah. (laughs) This networking pays off. All right. Yeah. I've, I've gotten some from Reddit, Instagram. I'm always looking at news stories. I get a lot of contact from the audience and I do have a form on the website. Just go to whatwasthatlike.com and click on submit your story. And I read every one of them. At this point, unfortunately, I can't necessarily reply to everyone, but I do read all of them. When you get a story like this woman who survived the plane crash, you read the story. Is there part of you that is almost getting some like anxiety that this might be somebody making it up because it's such a good story for your show? Not usually, no. Uh, I haven't I haven't really had people try to slip one by, you know, so to speak. If they just send me a really brief summary, my response usually is, you know, it sounds like a good story, but I have two questions. Number one, if we tell the story in detail, will it take at least 45 minutes to an hour to tell? And number two, how can I verify this? And I make sure they understand. It's not because I'm doubting what you're saying, but... I promote each episode as a true story, so I have to do my due diligence. I can verify it with a police report, online news article, 911 audio. People have sent me death certificates and police reports. And so I just, I want to be satisfied in my own mind that it really did happen. Well, good. It sounds like you must have a good radar when people are maybe embellishing or or telling the truth. In true nature of being confrontational, I'm going to test it here. 
uh, right now. One of these stories is true and one of them is not. When I was 21, I worked construction and I actually fell off of a crane and was hurt very badly, injured at the job. Also, when I was in fifth grade, I was racing my friend on the street and I was hit by a car. Which one is true? I would say both of those are true. Ah, only the hit by a car one. <laughs> no. <laughs> Uh, a lot of kids get hit by cars, you know. I have done a, a couple of car accident, fatal car accident episodes. I don't usually do those because they're so common. But if there's some unusual element to it, I'll definitely do that. Real dumb decision by me, by the way, during that street race to just run out onto the street uh, and get hit by a car. Um, really dumb. Honestly, I would. the person that I would want to interview is the guy driving the car. <laughs> That's a great point. He worked at a pizza shop on Boston Ave in Somerville, Massachusetts. I remember him coming up to me and my dad who was there. And I was bleeding and the guy was like, Wait, what can I do? What can I do? And I was like, get my hat. Because I saw my hat in the middle of the street and I pointed to it and uh, he ran over and grabbed my hat and my Atlanta Braves hat at the time and, uh, and gave it to me. And that was it. That was the last I heard of the guy. Wow. You never had any contact with him after that? I did not. I, I, I'm not sure if my parents did or spoke with the, the pizza shop, but yeah, the guy had just dropped off a pizza. It really wasn't his fault at all. I legitimately surprised him running out from a driveway. So if Tim had emailed you this story, what would you do with him to make sure that this is a true story? Well, if a kid gets hit by a car, I don't know. It depends on the size of the town. It may have been in the local paper and then, you know, it would have his name. Maybe. I don't know. Maybe not because he was a young child. It may have the name of the driver. You might have pictures that you could send. You know, when you were in the hospital, your parents might be able to confirm, yep, we got that phone call. Matter of fact, if that's the case, I would want to get their commentary as part of the podcast. What was it like to get a phone call from the police or from a hospital that your kid had just been hit by a car. So yeah, I mean, there's a variety of ways and I'm open. If I always tell people I'm open to other types of confirmation. If you have any other way to verify it, you know, let me know what you think. We'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsor. And a thank you to our sponsors. Back to the program. Tell us about Ella, who was trampled by an elephant. I thought this was uh, an amazing story. Yeah, Ella was, a, she's a really nice girl. She and a friend, a couple of friends actually were backpacking through Thailand. They stopped at this, they called it an elephant sanctuary, you know, where retired elephants go to live out their years. It's not really that. People rode the elephants, which is not really the way to treat elephants. But she didn't know that before her friend booked the trip. They went through a long period of training before they could take this ride on the elephants, several elephants going you know, on this trail and, you know, for a couple of hours and they come back, there was quite a bit of extensive training. And part of it was when you get off the elephant, you face the elephant and say, thank you in Thai. That's just what they do. They're going on their, on their trail. And suddenly the lead guy says, pulling over, we got to, we got to dismount, everybody dismount. And so she did that and turned to face the elephant and didn't realize that this was an elephant that was stricken with fear because a lot of these elephants are rescued from poachers. And the reason the whole pack was pulling over was because helicopters were coming in and the elephants recognize the sound of helicopters as danger. And they've seen what happens when helicopters show up. So this elephant was just in panic mode and grabbed her, threw her to the ground and was jostling her around. And she ended up on her back with the elephant foot on her 
shoulder. And that's when her friend at the, was, who was at the front of the pack realized, you know, something's going on back here, came back and then, you know, and then they got to the hospital. That's a pretty scary situation to go through. I don't know if I would want to have that experience to tell the story or just listen to somebody tell that story because they <laughs> had the experience. Do you ever get that? You're fine being vicarious? Absolutely. I often tell people you really don't want to have anything happen to you that qualifies you to be a guest on the show. Unless you win the lottery. I still, I'm still looking for a, a big lottery winner. I've talked to a few. So far, nobody has wanted to come on and talk about how they handled that. Can you tell us about the episode titled Jaina's Hotel Room Was a Crime Scene? This seems like a pretty wild story. Yeah, yeah. Jaina is a, she's what you would call the stereotypical social media influencer. Because if you look at her website, I mean, she's just glamour and smiling and makeup. That's what she does. She does makeup for brides on the day of their wedding. And this was for her wedding. So she and her bridesmaids were in a hotel. They were staying overnight. They all got matching onesies. And at midnight, they're down taking pictures in the lobby and just having a great time before the wedding the next day. And so they got back to the room. They're going in the room. It's like three or four in the morning and the fire alarm goes off. They're thinking, oh, what's that? Oh, it's probably just a drill. But come on, three o'clock in the morning, they don't do fire drills then. And some other guy came out of his room next door and he said, it's probably nothing. And so they went in and they went to sleep. But the reason for the fire drill was because down in the lobby where they had just left was a gunman, a man with a gun. And this is in Canada. They don't have gun problems like we have here in the U.S. So now everybody had to stay in their room. And it was a hours and hours long standoff. They just barely got out in time. Fortunately, she was able to do all of her bridesmaids makeup and hair and her own hair and everything to be ready for the wedding. When finally the, the GM of the hotel and the police, the groom put out on Twitter, my bride's trapped in the hotel. And then it become a big, big news story because there's a huge standoff. All the streets are blocked off, but yet there's this bride that has to get to her wedding. You know, that's the kind of story that, that local news stations love to cover. So they, they finally got rescued. They got, to the, they got to the church with like five minutes to spare. Of course, everybody's at the church thinking, is it really going to happen? Are they going to get here or, or no? But they did. I'm curious if you ever maintain a relationship after your guests tell the story. And I want to reference one of your earlier episodes about Samantha. Samantha only sleeps every eight days. And that made me wonder, do you ever check in with people like Samantha and make sure that you know they're doing okay after they've told you these stories? Sometimes I do. Uh, not specifically with Samantha. I think that was like the second or third episode, one of the really early ones. But interestingly, the very first episode, I still keep in touch with that woman, Jennifer. That episode is called Jennifer Caused a Fatal Accident. That's what it was. She was in a car with her two kids, little little girls, pulled out into an intersection at night and she didn't see the motorcycle that was approaching from the left and he ran into her car. She wasn't even really sure immediately what had happened, but then she could see the motorcycle and, and the man laying in the road. She pulled over, left her two little girls in the car, went over to, you know, to help him. And I actually have the 911 audio that she made from right there as she was in the road and he ended up dying. Boy, talk about some emotions there. You know, you've got to figure the, the guilt that she would feel, even though it was eventually determined it wasn't her fault. The guilt, the PTSD that she was actually diagnosed with, the financial burden, having to hire a lawyer and go through all that. Not to mention having to tell your little kids that, you know, mommy might have to go to jail. Myself, being a podcaster, I told her, you need 
to have a podcast. I don't tell that to most of my guests, but in her case, you know, you think about what almost ensures the success of a podcast. If you have a niche topic, but a huge audience, when this happened to her, she was looking for resources to, you know, group therapy or, or online groups or anything like that. There wasn't anything, but yet think about how many people are in car accidents and kill someone. It happens every single day here in this country. And where do those people have to go? So it took some prodding. And after a while, she did start her own podcast. So yeah, we still keep in touch to this day. She speaks at conferences and she has written a book about it since then. I could just tell that a situation like that, if it happens to somebody, they're going to be looking for online resources. And there was nothing. And But yet there's tons of people that that happens to. Yeah. the And, and I've kept in touch with uh, with some of the other ones uh, as well. That's a great answer because it's encouraging to hear somebody understand that as they are producing these episodes and putting it out there to the world, that there is an obligation, regardless of whether or not you think there is, to, to your guests and to your audience. And you just giving her that advice. I mean, look what look what that did. So you're sort of indirectly being an advocate for people in her position and positions like that by having these guests on and and if you feel the need to tell them or give them a piece of advice that might help them. Absolutely. I'm a strongly empathetic person. And yes, if I can see some opportunity to be able to help someone and you know in podcasting, you don't look at other podcasters as competition. We're all in the same game and if one helps the other, that it helps everybody. You know, if she starts a podcast and it turns out to be bigger than my show, that's fine. It doesn't hurt me. It helps her and it helps everybody else. So it's a good thing. Well, it better not be bigger than this show. <laughs> <laughs> Is there any podcast bigger than this show? There I mean, better the not be. No. <laughs> what is her show, though? She talks about people that had that happen to them where they've accidentally killed or injured. They're called caddies, C-A-D-I, caused accidental death or injury. And uh, so she talks to people like that or family members or, you know, anyone adjacent to that type of situation. Tell us now about Margie's dad, who was a hoarder, if you don't mind. Yeah, that was uh, that was a fun one. And then, and she's one that I keep in touch with as well. Margie was teaching overseas. I think it was, she was in Taiwan. She was teaching English over there. When she got home one day, her roommate said, you need to call your mom. And she knew something immediately was up. It's funny how she talks about her mom. She loves her mom to death, but she really explains it very clearly. She said, my mom is not one to mince words. As soon as I got on the FaceTime, I could tell something was wrong, but she said, dad's dead. He killed himself. I mean, how do you handle a, you know, a message like that? But she was overseas. She, you know, they're back in the United States. They live in Rhode Island. You know, she quit her job. She went back home. That's when kind of the big second part of that story came out is that her parents were hoarders and they were in a huge house. They've been in there for many years. She described the process. She didn't get another job when she came back. She, for the next six months, her job all day was clearing out the house because she wanted to make it livable. Her mom's was, mom was still going to stay there. And she kind of had that in the back of her mind that she was going to do that someday for them. But this is what kind of triggered it to put that into action. And yeah, you can see on the, on the, on my website for the, in the show notes, you can see before and after pictures. And she talks about that whole process and it was really interesting. That's probably an episode I'll never listen to and experience with a hoarder once mm. without getting into the whole story. It's not just the stuff that they have. There's a whole psychology behind it. The person I'm speaking about had this infatuation with religion as well. So a lot of it had like a basis in her faith. Hmm. And it was the only time in my life that I was actually afraid 
of myself about what I was going to do because it was a moment where she just crossed the line that was like uncrossable for me. I had to get out of the situation. I had to get into my car. I had to drive away because I was afraid of what I could do. I felt my temper escalating to a point where I, I thought I was going to cross a line and I didn't want that to happen. So there is this whole thing that comes with hoarding. And I think it's a, a bit sensationalized when you see like those TV shows. It is. It's a mental illness. And yeah, I think the TV shows really do. They, I mean, they bring awareness to it. But yeah, it's sensationalized, exploited almost. Tim actually just sent me the link to Margie's website. Wow, she got Margie.com. That's impressive. Margie with a, ha- with a hard G. <laughs> yeah, she, she's a podcaster herself. That's, how I, that's actually how I found out about her. I already knew about her, but when I listened to that first episode, she kind of told an abbreviated story of what she told on my show. Her show was on mine was super popular. And we'll be right back after a quick word from our sponsors. Thanks to our sponsors. And now we're back to the program. Have you ever had a story come to your attention that has just been too much for you? Too much in what way? I feel like the latest episode about the child drowning would be where my threshold would probably, and Tim and I were talking about this before, like that's sort of where our threshold is, where it lies. Like, is there something that's beyond that that you wouldn't touch? Knowing myself and knowing my audience, we have a a common interest and that's a love of animals. And I don't think I would ever do a story about an animal, like a dog being tortured or or killed. It's just, it's kind of a weird thing. I mean, I've had a lot of episodes where people die and people can listen to that. But as soon as you start talking about an animal, a poor, innocent dog, um, and I'm the same way, I would not listen to an episode like that. So yeah, that would be crossing the line. What about Jen, who is a professional bridesmaid? Yeah, that was a fun one too. I heard her story on another podcast and I thought, okay, that could be one of my unusual jobs episodes. That's exactly what she does. She hires herself out as a bridesmaid. She advertises, the bride hires her, the bride's the only one that knows that she's not really a friend of the bride. And maybe the groom, probably, they they tell him probably. But yeah, she flies in. She helps the bride with trying on the dress, doing all, all the stuff, the pre-wedding stuff. She's not a wedding planner, but she does all the other stuff. And she goes to the wedding. She stands up there. You know, she does a speech at the reception. She dances with all the family members. And they make up some kind of a backstory ahead of time about, you know, they met in fifth grade and best friends ever since or, you know, something along those lines. And then after that weekend is over, she flies back home and she makes pretty good money, too. Not a lot of people know this. Tim is actually a professional groom. Nice. <laughs> yep. This is a, a really interesting story for, for several reasons. I, I can't understand how this is a job that pays bills. I could see how it's like a job that you work like a few times a year, maybe, if you're really good at it and have good branding. I can't understand how this happens. Apparently, there is a demand for it. I wouldn't have realized it either. She's really good at marketing herself. And so she's been on all the, you know, Good Morning America and shows like that that find out about a story like this. They want to have them come on. And and she jumps at every opportunity. She's written two or three books about it. She has a couple of podcasts and her word is out there all over the place. So people are looking for something like that. Her name's going to pop up. But you were like, oh, they come up with a backstory, you know, and you use as an example. Oh, we, we've known each other since fifth grade. If they hadn't known each other since fifth grade, wouldn't that throw it off with the other bridesmaids? Yeah, it's specific 
to each case because they, they could say, you know, we, we haven't seen each other in years and she works it out somehow. It's like the long con. Personally, I think it's impressive. I love it. I love that that profession exists. Anything that is like that unique is very creative to me. And I would love to see the moment where someone in the wedding party would find out. If I was ever in a wedding party and I found out like years later, oh, that actually was just somebody who was doing their job. I would think that would be the most amazing thing ever. <laughs> yeah, because then you'd go back and look at the pictures or the video. <laughs> yep, there they are right there. They were faking it the whole time. Yeah. <laughs> like that person's not your friend. That's so weird. <laughs> Well, Jen's got a pretty good following on social media. She's got like 50,000 mm-hmm. followers on TikTok. So I, I, it's not the yeah. craziest thing to suggest that a wedding guest uh, would recognize her. No, I, I wouldn't rule it out. Yeah, really. I mean, 50,000 people out of all the people in the United States, maybe. I guess you'd work it into your story, too. That's true. Yeah. You'd just be like, oh, yeah, she, that's my friend. She happens to have 50,000 followers on TikTok and talks about mm-hmm. going to weddings. <laughs> yeah, it's bridesmaid for hire at TikTok. Don't look at that so. bio. Just <laughs> <laughs> be like, well, that's just what my friend decided to do. It's just a coincidence. She happens to be my bridesmaid. Yeah, she's a real bridesmaid in this wedding, though. Yeah. <laughs> Recently, Scott, I came to terms with a fear that I have. Uh, when we spoke with a wonderful gentleman, Larry Mullins, from a great show called Your Weirdest Fears, and Tim and I went over our fears with him and a bunch of other ones, and it was a great conversation. But I finally came to terms with this fear that I have that because I asked him, like, hearing all these stories, are you afraid that you're somehow, like, manifesting it to happen to yourself? I have this thing where, like, if I hear, like, something so random, if I hear that and I start thinking about it, it might happen to me. So then if I talk about it, it'll definitely happen to me. So I just try not to talk about it. But I'm getting better with it now after speaking with Larry Mullins. Anyway, do you have that fear as well that if you hear all of these stories, you're just simply asking the universe to provide you with something along those lines? No. (laughs) 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 I'm not what you would call a superstitious person. I've done so many different situations and it's so rare statistically for any of these things to happen to anyone. Yeah, no, I'm just... uh, I guess I kind of look at it as, I'm glad it wasn't me. I'm sorry it happened to you, but I'm glad it wasn't me. Which is, I think subconsciously, that's what a lot of people, when they hear these stories, think, man, I am so glad that I've never gone through that. And on the other hand, you know, you mentioned the most recent episode with Ashley, who lost her little girl and drowning in the pool. I've had many people after that comment saying, I couldn't imagine listening to this episode. I still listen to it because... This happened to me too. I lost my child. That's really the value of this. People know that I'm not alone in this and there's other resources and, and ways to for people to help each other having gone through the same thing. What is your dream guest? Oh, well, I'll tell you a few of the people I'm looking for, but then my dream guest is not on this list and I'll tell you about her as well. I'm looking right now for someone who survived falling off a cruise ship while it was underway, someone who was a passenger on a train that went over a cliff, someone who inherited an island or a castle from an unknown relative, and also a prison employee in charge of executions. So I'd like to talk to anyone that fits those categories. But my dream guest is a girl named Genesis. And that's all I know is her first name, and I know what she looks like. You guys ever watch the TV show The Carbonaro Effect? No. No. Michael Carbonaro is a, is a magician. So he does, it's kind of like a candid camera setup. He's like an employee in a shop or something. And the unsuspecting person walks in and he does some amazing magic trick. They're blown away because they don't understand 
what just happened? And he just tried to kind of explain it away, but, but he's a magician. He does this kind of stuff. And that's what every episode is people like that. And Genesis was one of the people who was on that show and her reaction was just unbelievable. She was shaking because she didn't understand what she had just witnessed. If you go on YouTube, look for Genesis Carbonaro effect. It's the first video that comes up. So I've always wanted to get what this, this episode aired maybe two, two, three years ago, maybe. I've been trying, I've been looking all over to try to find her. I think she lives in Chicago area because this is where the, that's where it was filmed. But other than that, I don't know anything about her. So maybe if somebody listening to this podcast knows Genesis in Chicago, I'd love to hear from you. That is so cool. I think I kind of expected you to say like maybe a, a famous person or something like that, but I love that that moment that you watched like resonated with you so much that she became your number one like dream guest. It goes back to the raw emotion. Some people have accused the Carbonaro effect and him of being fake and being staged. These things don't really happen. These are actors. But when you see her and the response and reaction that she had, she's not acting there. Like I do with all my guests, I tell people this is, you know, what we're going to talk about. It's not a 20 minute conversation that gets edited down for three minutes for the evening news. This is a long form conversation. I want to hear what was going through your head as this was happening. What were you thinking? And that's what I really want to ask her. All right, Scott, before we go, I want to play a very quick game here. I'm going to give you the title of one of your future episodes, and you're going to tell me who the guest is. Okay. Okay. So the, first, the first one is, I left the royal family. I would say that would have to be Prince Harry. No, no, we were looking for Meghan Markle. Sorry. Oh, it was a coin. It was a coin flip. I didn't. Okay. <laughs> but you know what, though, I would interview either one of those. I'd be happy to have them on my show. <laughs> Good. Um, had a high-profile divorce. Um, I'll say uh, Donald Trump. <laughs> uh, we were actually looking for Ben Affleck. Um, was left behind by Hollywood only to later win an Oscar. This is where my lack of interest in pop culture <laughs> really shows itself. Uh, oh, um, Brendan Fraser. Oh, that's very good. Uh, that, that's very possible, but we we're also looking for Ben Affleck in that one. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Uh, thank you so much, Scott, for uh, for hanging out with us today and having some fun. We really appreciate it. You have a great show. I hope our listeners check it out. Uh, where can our listeners find you? Uh, I'm on any of the podcast apps. You can just do a search for What Was That Like? And uh, But all of the episodes are at the website, whatwasthatlike.com. 